Patrick Mahomes will be throwing to some new faces this year. The Chiefs lost Tyree Kill to the Dolphins, but they added Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency, and Sky Moore via the draft. Here's Patrick Mahomes from Thursday on what we can all expect to see from the Chiefs' new-look offense. That's what you're going to see at this offense this year is it's going to be everybody. It's not going to be one guy. I mean, obviously, Travis is going to still get a lot of completions, a lot of yards, but I think the whole receiving room um, is going to have big days, and I think that could be something that we can use to our advantage. You saw last year um, defenses had started to formulate a good game plan, at least at the beginning of the season, of trying to kind of maintain stopping Tyreek and stopping Trav, and uh, we had to find ways to have success other ways so we can get those guys open. I think this year will be different where you're not going to know where you're going to get the, the deep ball from. You're not going to know where you're going to get the short pass from because we have a lot of different guys that can do it all. So uh, I think having all those guys, I think it'll help us get more of those deep throws that we've been accustomed to. That is the ultimate glass half full reaction to the loss of one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I've heard similar things about the Packers. I think it was back during the draft when all those hours of draft coverage are filled with talking head opinions about the Packers. Well, they're going to spread the ball around a lot more this year. And the offense will be just as good. Well, But here's the thing. When you take away a guy who commands double coverage, who forces the defensive coordinator for the other team to come up with a plan for specifically eliminating that guy, or at least trying to, because no matter how hard you try, you still can't eliminate him. He's that good. It opens up the rest of the offense. You remove a guy like that from the offense, all of a sudden they got resources to deploy to cover your other guy. Oh, we got all these other guys. Yeah, but they're not the guy that you traded. The guy you traded commands at least two. Everybody else, we can cover them with one. So it's going to be harder. It's still going to take some creativity. I'm not saying the Chiefs don't have the ability to do it, Peter, but it's glass half full to just say, well, we got rid of one of the most game-breaking dominant receivers in football, and we'll be fine with a bunch of guys who aren't. I think one of the things that you have to look at when you look at the Kansas City offense this year is not only are they going to spread it around to everybody, but there are a bunch of receivers there who, especially Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think has to be out to prove it's still a young age in this game. Whatever he is, 25 years old, I don't know. But it's still a very young age in this game. He was two and three years ago, right? Ben Roethlisberger in an explosive offense. The most important guy for Ben Roethlisberger. And he sort of disappeared the last couple of years. You know, where he has not been able to be a dominant player in that way. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, has gone to football nirvana. And, and I'll just say this. This is not the way comeback player of the year is ever used. But he is in perfect position to be the comeback player of the year this year. Because I think if he's healthy, if he plays the way he did two and three years ago, three years ago, let's say, he has a chance to be a 90-catch receiver, 12 or 1,300 yards with 10 touchdowns. In that offense... I think you've got the speed burner, obviously, in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You've got the possession guy who can be a game-breaker at tight end, uh, obviously, in Kelsey. But you need a guy who that quarterback is going to look for as his reliable, always open guy. That's what Juju Smith-Schuster was 
when he broke into the NFL. And I believe he is looking at this year as being, hey, mentally he hears it, Mike. Oh, we're going to spread the ball around. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I think he's going to be in Andy Reid's ear. I think he's going to be in Eric Bieniemy's ear. And he's going to be saying, hey, listen, I can get open on this route. I can get open on that route. I can do this. I can do that. I just, I think a little bit, Mike, over the last couple of years, it's been a little bit about the sideshow with him. The dog and the Instagram and the taking kids to proms and all that stuff. And it's, and look, Juju Smith-Schuster's a wonderful human being. He really is. And, and I'm not demeaning any of the things that he does off the field. He has fun with his life. But I just think he's going to go into Kansas City this year and he's going to prove, Patrick, I'm one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I'm going to force you to find me 90 times this year. You make an excellent point about him potentially being comeback player of the year. When you consider the production he can have in the offense, the personality that will attract attention, that will just naturally and organically add to his case for comeback player of the year, playing for a team like the Chiefs. He is a very magnetic personality, a lot of charisma, likable kid, still 25, as you said. The folks at PointsBet have him as a 17-to-1 proposition to be comeback player of the year. For those of you who are inclined to maybe make a wager, and if you're looking for value, that's not bad value. Because you're right, Peter, he's going to get his opportunities if he stays healthy. But he fits the category of comeback player of the year perfectly because he had the serious shoulder injury last year, came back and played late in the season. But but he's coming back from uh, a down year, clearly a down year, down couple of years we kind of he's been forgotten ever since he got blown up on uh, on that monday night against the bengals after he danced on the logo uh before the game started he's kind of been forgotten and and this would be a great way for him to reintroduce himself to the nfl have a huge year set himself up for a big contract next year and also maybe get that comeback player of the year trophy i just want to say one other thing about him you know there's going to be a lot of people who will say Wait a second, two years ago, he, he caught 97 balls. But it was, it was almost like he was catching balls like a, like a running back out of the backfield. I mean, 8.6 yards per catch two years ago. He was not the downfield threat he was early on. Remember, in his first two years, when he caught 169 balls, his yards per catch was up around 13, 14. And so he wants to be that guy again, not the little safety valve guy. Uh, He wants to be the guy who is the threat in your offense. And Mike, ever since they signed him for a very reasonable contract, ever since they signed him, I said, this is Juju Smith-Schuster's prove it year. And coming off a bad year, uh, you know, where he was hurt and very unproductive, I'll tell you what, 17 to 1, give me, give me some of that. I, I, I think he's going to have a big year in Kansas City. We found out after Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh that he can't be the number one guy because he lacks this speed to draw double coverage. And I remember the right. comments from him at the time, and they were trying to will him into being the number one guy. It's like if you can't run past the guy who's covering you and force the safety to to shade over in your direction. You you can't be the number one guy, but you'd be a great number two guy in every offense now needs 
at least two deep receivers who can get it done. So he could have a great role. He could still have a great long career in the NFL. It's just not going to continue in Pittsburgh. And uh, I, we're on the same page with what Juju can do to that offense. And, and yeah, even with Tyreek Hill gone, they still have a great tight end in Travis Kelsey, who's had six straight 1,000-yard seasons, even though both he and Tyreek Hill have gotten the bulk of the attention from defenses in recent years. All right, bulk of the attention in Baltimore is devoted to the status of Lamar Jackson, who still continues to refuse to engage the team in contract talks, is believed to be focused on having his best season ever so that he can justify the contract he would get once he takes the Ravens to a Super Bowl. But he's not there for OTAs where the foundation is laid to have that great kind of season. The mystery continues to grow for Lamar Jackson. Here is Ravens president Sashi Brown on this latest chapter in the Lamar Jackson mystery, why he isn't at OTAs. No, voluntary does mean voluntary, and that, that's true. And I think, uh, you know, Lamar's been out working this offseason. Eric and John talked about it. So, so no, that, I don't think any reason for alarm. And he's been very vocal in terms of Lamar, in terms of his support and desire to be in Baltimore. So we're, we're pleased that he's out there working and not going to make a big deal out of this. You know, my first thought, Peter, let me just take a little detour here. I wonder what the Ravens think about Sashi Brown doing radio interviews because Dick Cass didn't do them. And it's a new personality now into this mix where it's been very buttoned up. It's Harbaugh most of the time, Eric DaCosta once in a while, never the team president. I just wonder whether or not this was deliberate, strategic, or or it's just Sashi Brown deciding I'm going to do this without really talking to anybody but it's a new voice that gets interjected into this mix of trying to interpret what the Ravens are going to do based upon the things said by the prominent members of the organization publicly. I think one of the things that's a mystery to the Ravens is that uh, I don't really think they know what Lamar Jackson wants. This is not a situation where you've got Eric Burkhart speaking up for Kyler Murray. And it's another example of when you don't have an agent, there is a, an, there is a mystique around you that would not necessarily be there if Eric DeCosta or John Harbaugh or Sashi Brown could pick up the phone and call an agent. Who knows? Todd France, who, who, whoever it would be. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, this is what I've heard that every time they talk to Lamar Jackson, it's a sunny day, everything's wonderful, life is beautiful, no hard feelings, we're all good, okay? And so that's why, as of now, as of now, and again, as I said before, talk to me on August 1st. If he's not in training camp that day, then I'll think there's a problem, all right? But as of right now, you don't have to be at these workouts Does anybody scream and yell and kick their feet when Aaron Rodgers doesn't come to the workout? No. He's been the MVP the last two years. So if a quarterback doesn't want to come to the workouts, it's probably inconvenient for a team. I get it. But so what? Just live. Give the backup the reps. Like if I'm I'm the Packers right now, and I'm dead serious about this, even though, yes, I do want uh, Aaron Rodgers to becoming, uh, you know, to be getting on the same page with 
with, you know, all of his, you know, the new receivers they have. And then later on, whenever uh, Christian Watson can come uh, to, to uh, you know, to practice with the Packers so that he can be there, so that he can throw the ball to Sammy Watkins. I get it. I get it. But does anybody really care? And does the head coach of the team and the offensive coaches, do they want to have Jordan Love having 20 practices where he's making every throw with the ones? That's what I would want. I want to get Jordan Love as many throws with the real players as possible because I don't know what the future holds for Jordan Love. And last year proved that Aaron Rodgers doesn't need this. So to me, that's why I just don't think it's a big deal when guys don't come to to practices on May 25th. Well... We've agreed on everything for the first hour, so maybe it's time to start parting ways on some of these things. I think Aaron Rodgers needs to be there. He has no business reason to not be there. Most of the guys who aren't there, and I understand it's voluntary, but come on. These are limited opportunities for a team to install the offensive and defensive playbooks in advance of training camp. And when you have a receiver room that is in shambles in Green Bay that you are trying to rebuild, and Aaron Rodgers has admitted when he agreed to stay, he didn't know that Devontae Adams was basically choosing Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers. And now they've got Sammy Watkins there. They've still got Randall Cobb. Alan Lazard hasn't signed his tender yet, so he's not there. They drafted Christian Watson. It would be nice to begin the process of building rapport now so we don't have to do all of it on the fly in training camp. If we can do any advance work, getting these guys around each other, getting them to know each other, getting them comfortable, it would make sense. And again, there is not a business reason for Aaron Rodgers to not be there. He's supposedly buried the hatchet. He's the highest paid player in the NFL right now, sort of. There's, there's no reason for him to be pissed off, but, but I'm sure he is about something. And maybe it is that they let Devontae Adams get away because they didn't put on the table the offer that it was too late to put on the table once he decided he was going to Las Vegas. But that's what dovetails with the Ravens, Peter. Lamar Jackson does have a business reason to stay away, but he refuses to engage them in an effort to resolve the business situation. That's what's so weird about it. And if he does want to have a championship season, you start the climb now. He's always been there for the offseason program before this year. So there are just weird messages that are being sent from Jackson's camp. And I know he has people who are advising him. He doesn't have an agent that the Ravens can call up. And I know they wish he did. It would make life a lot easier for them to try to work this thing out. If there was someone that could speak on Jackson's behalf, when the quarterback won't engage them, when he's so focused, that's the narrative we always hear. He's so focused on football that he doesn't have time to negotiate a contract, well, then why aren't you at OTAs if you're that focused on football? That's what's weird about this. And, Peter, this is a situation where it benefits the Ravens to let Tyler Huntley take all the reps because I think at some point the Ravens get exasperated with Lamar Jackson and they get sick of waiting. We're trying to give you our money. You won't take our money. You don't want to take our money? Fine, we won't give it to you. We'll give it to Tyler Huntley. And dollar for dollar, we may get better value for what we would pay Tyler Huntley to make him the long-term guy. Is he as good as you? No, but we'd have a hell of a lot more money. It's kind of like what the Eagles are doing with Jalen Hurts. We'd have a hell of a lot more money to beef up the team everywhere else. And we'll take Tyler Huntley if that means not having to pay $50 million a year to a guy who doesn't want to take it. 
First of all, they're not paying him fifty million dollars a year. I know. I know. I mean, second I know, I'm of exaggerating. all, exaggerating. Sec, second of all, second of all, um, I have often thought, and here I am sitting on television on May twenty seventh. Okay, but I've often thought that one of the things that happens in an off season is that. Some things happen that when you look back at them on Labor Day weekend or September 15th, you look back and say, man, I can't believe that we made such a big deal of X way back then. Look, I might be proven wrong. This might be a cold takes exposed or whatever that thing is called. It could well be. But in my opinion, we vastly, vastly, overrate the things that happen or don't happen on May. How dare you? And you I, I got a business you know why we do Ixnay on you the You want to know why day. we do that? Do you want to know why we do that? Because football has become a 24-7, 365 venture. You know, when I first got into covering the NFL, do you know what I did in the offseason when I covered the Cincinnati Bengals just before I got that? I was covering Xavier basketball in Cincinnati. And... You did other things in the offseason. There was, a, there was a, a big high school football weekend in Cincinnati in 1984. And you know what I did on Friday night, Mike, when I was covering the Bengals? You know what I did on Friday night? I went to a high school football game, stood on the sidelines, kept, took notes, got in my car, hustled back to the Cincinnati Inquirer and wrote about uh, the high school football game, and then I covered the Bengals on Sunday. That is exactly what has happened in the NFL. Can you, I mean, there are markets where they have 15 people year round writing about and talking about a football team when for six months, nothing happens or very little happens. Well, the only thing I'm saying is the only thing I'm saying is that these things that we think are big on May 25th don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Disagree. Disagree. Peter, when you were covering the Bengals, they didn't practice like this in the offseason. These these, the NFL was a different world. It didn't have free agency. The world has changed dramatically. The NFL has exploded in coverage, interest, and things to talk about. The NFL understands how to take that dead spot in the calendar and turn it into things but does that it either matter? matter or they feel Talking like they about matter. I think it's different than what it, when I, it really matters. I, I think, it doesn't I think matter. It, ask the Cardinals. Does it matter that they don't have a contract with Kyler Murray? Where is that heading? Does it matter that they we'll can't get Lamar Jackson if to the don't table? Why is he showing 25th, up? If they don't have I, it on July 25th, then we'll see. And I don't mean to engage in I, a Stephen A. Smith thing right now. I, but I feel fine, adamantly. J- just I, tell me. Just tell me one thing. Tell me one thing. All right? If you're the Green Bay Packers right now, do you honestly think it's a bad thing? That Jordan Love isn't getting 20 practices where he's throwing all the balls with the ones? I think it's fantastic. It'd be fantastic. better if Aaron Rodgers was there. It'd be better if my starter was there why? getting up to speed with the new receivers. Because they don't have any receivers, Peter. That's why. And they've so got to build it somehow. So they're going to put He'll more pressure on the situation He'll in training camp. Okay. How did he do what last Christian, year with what if, zero practices in the offseason? Peter, Peter, He was Peter, the MVP of the league. I understand that, but he had Devontae Adams. Now he's got a guy yeah, he did. that they've drafted in round two. 
who's going to walk through the door as the number one receiver. And I hear this all the time. And Rodgers said it himself. Well, we've done all right in the past in round two and round three. We found Randall Cobb and we found Jordy Nelson and we found this guy. guy. Yeah, but none of those guys were expected to walk through the door as the number one receiver. Christian Watson is expected to walk through the door as the number one guy. So it would be nice if a guy that's getting 50 freaking million dollars a year would show up and work with Christian Watson to help him become more comfortable now so that when it's time for training camp, he doesn't freak out and he isn't overwhelmed by the pressure of having to step through the door and be the number one receiver of the Green Bay Packers when everyone is going to be expecting this 21-year-old kid, expecting him to step in and be Devontae Adams. So, yeah, if I'm pairing you, Aaron Rodgers, 50 freaking million dollars a year and these voluntary workouts – are really not voluntary if you really are a team guy and you really want to do something more than get your ass kicked by the 49ers on, on a day that is set up for you to win and advance to the NFC Championship game. If you want to lay the foundation for that now, then yeah, you better be there. And I'm sorry to engage you like Stephen A. Smith would, but come on, Peter. <laughs> it's 2022. The NFL is a 12-month-a-year business. Stuff is happening all the time. It's all I work on, and I'm not complaining about it. I love it, and it's done well for me. And the NFL, which loves to complain about some of the things I say, will never complain about the fact that I devote my entire freaking life to covering the sport 12 months a year, 365 days a year, because it is important, and people love it, and people love it a lot more than anything else that we could be doing right now. So that's why it is what it is, and to get back to your prior question. That's why it matters that Aaron Rodgers isn't there because Christian Watson needs him there. Christian Watson needs to learn now before the pressure gets ratcheted up in August and they're four weeks away from week one. That's why. I feel good. When you signed signed Aaron Rodgers, when you signed Aaron Rodgers to this gigantic contract, you knew that you were signing a prickly guy. (laughs) <laughs> you knew. You knew that prickly. you were signing a prickly the, guy. You knew the LY that you were is very important. Guy. It's very important to have the LY. Very important. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you were signing a guy like that. And my point is, my point is, when you signed him, you felt pretty sure if you're Brian Gudekunst, when you signed him, you felt pretty sure that he's gonna miss everything in the offseason other than the mandatory minicamp, which I'm fairly sure he's going to be at, okay? You, you, you felt fairly sure about that. So all I'm saying is that this can't be a surprise to you. And secondarily, I understand you want to get Rodgers up to speed with some of these new guys. I get it. And I see both sides of this. But in my opinion, you drafted a quarterback number one in the first round in 2020, okay? When you drafted that quarterback in the first round, and he right now doesn't look like he's the man to succeed Aaron Rodgers. He really doesn't look like it. But you know what? After two years in 2007, Aaron Rodgers didn't look like he was going to be any great quarterback succeeding Brett Favre. But, you know, you gave him time. You gave him a lot of practice time because Favre, also missed a lot of off-season stuff in those days. And he got better and better and better. And my only point is, the investment in the long-term future of your team is much better served when I have uh, Jordan Love taking every snap with the ones 
for a month before Aaron Rodgers shows up for the mandatory minicamp. And I understand you want to get him on the same page with these receivers. I want Jordan Love to be the man for a month or six weeks before Aaron Rodgers steps foot in Green Bay. The only problem is I think Aaron Rodgers is determined to stay in Green Bay as long as he can, if for nothing else than to than to make. But you the know what? You can't Jordan know Love that experiment moot. I know. You can't I know. know that. I know. He's clearly on a so year-to-year arrangement. So you have to prepare. I agree. You I have agree. to prepare like this is the last year of Aaron Rodgers. Hey, and the other That's thing too, it's to happened do. twice in the past decade that that he's broken the same collarbone. You never know when he could get injured, even though he's been durable in recent years. And I don't mean to jinx him. I already jinxed Justin Fields earlier, and now I'm going to jinx Aaron Rodgers. But you got to have Jordan Love ready to go. He's got to be ready to go. And people thought he was going to be traded when Rodgers decided to stay. Well, no, he's a low-cost option. He's on that slotted rookie contract. They saw enough in him to be willing to make him a first-round pick, trade up to get him when they knew or should have known what a ruckus it was going to cause with their prickly quarterback. Yeah, they got a lot invested in this guy, and it's a reason to keep him around. All right, we got to take a break. You know what, though? You know what, though? It's funny because I I, I was watching an old George Carlin uh, special on uh, HBO recently because I watched the documentary. Well, but they, they, they have old they have an they have old George Carlin specials from the 70s. And some of the stuff he says yeah. is brilliant. And he was talking about the words you can't say on TV. You know, one of those words in particular, yeah. we've said like 17 times on the show this week. I won't say it again. But he said that the word prick is one of those words that sometimes it's OK and sometimes it isn't. He said, you can say I prick my finger, but you can't say I fingered my Let's take a break. Uh, What happened with the Cardinals last season? Buda Baker provides his take next on PFT Live. (laughs) After the week last season ended, obviously, and the playoff game, what's been the kind of vibe and the atmosphere among among you all as you get ready to, to go at it again? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's... You know, we're we're trying to get back to way past what we did last year and, you know, of course, two years ago. But, of course, for us, we're just taking it one day at a time, you know, one week at a time. And if we can do that, you know, we'll win. You know, you guys saw us do that first, you know, eight, nine games of last year. And I felt like guys possibly might have got comfortable, you know, a lot of headlines, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of wins, you know, and all that type of stuff. But it's up to, you know, us as professionals to, you know, ignore the noise and just to take it one week at a time. Because if we do, you know, we believe we're a great football team. And this year, I think we're going to be a a way better team than we were last year. Interesting comments from Buda Baker regarding the regression of the Arizona Cardinals in 2022. Now, look, I want to be fair to everybody on this, but whenever I hear comments like that, Peter, about a team getting comfortable, a team believing that it accomplished something before it did, I think about the coach. It's always on the coach, whether it's it's the Parcells mindset. It's the Sean Payton, don't take the cheese, right? You got to find a way when a team is playing well to keep the team from becoming complacent, to keep the team from getting comfortable. And we've got that graphic, the Cliff Kingsbury nosedive graphic. Every year that he's been a head coach, (laughs) dating back to Texas Tech, column A, pretty good. Column B, what the hell happened? So this, you know, it can't just be bleep happens. There's a reason for these things. 
And if Cliff Kingsbury is looking for ways to improve himself, he better be ready. There it is. The can't finish Cliff, can't finish Kingsbury. Uh, Look at the right column. Look at what happens to his teams, Peter. It can't be a coincidence. It is abysmal. Great start. Horrible finish last year from 10-2 and two to 1-5 and five and the ugly exit in the playoff loss to the Rams. But Buda Baker is speaking a truth here that maybe Michael Bidwell would have liked to have heard before he gave Cliff Kingsbury an extension. Look, I'm just going to tell you this. One day, it's going to be, one Monday, it's going to be 5, 10 a.m. And you're going to be sitting there. You're going to call up my column. And you are going to see in my column that I call the numbers game, you're going to see a little headline. And it's going to say, the Cliff Kingsbury nosedive graphic. And I'm not going to give you any credit for it at all. It is abject thievery because it's perfect. The Cliff Kingsbury team. Look, I didn't come up with it. Give, it, give the credit 17. to the back room. They are 5 and 17 down the stretch in that graphic that you just showed for the Arizona Cardinals. And Mike, I'm just going to give you my one little thought. I don't know why he finished 0-5 at Texas Tech. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I have absolutely no idea. But I am going to give you a little pet theory of mine about why they get to the point that they get to late in every year. And that is, honestly, they've got a small quarterback and they've got a quarterback who is a brave small quarterback. And what I mean by that is, I think that the quarterback of this team, Kyler Murray, has taken an awful lot of hits and he wasn't built to take an awful lot of hits. Okay, so in my opinion, my opinion, Cliff Kingsbury walked in there and I will never forget in his rookie year in 2019, he said to me when I visited them, he said to me, we're going to have one of the best running games in the league. And he said, our running game is our priority. That was the word he used, our priority, the words he used. And so my only point about this, Mike, is that I think this has to be a year. And look, they lost Chase Edmonds to Miami. They need to develop, along with James Conner, who's not been the most uh, durable guy in his career either. They need to develop a two- or even three-headed running game that, and there's nothing wrong with winning a few games, 19 to, to, to 16. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with killing the clock, eating the clock, and winning the game because you run the ball great. He's always made that a priority. And this year, if I were Cliff Kingsbury, I would be looking in the middle part of my schedule calendar to make sure that we are preaching to our team, run it, run it, run it. We want to have 35 runs every game minimum with our team. And I know you've got an exciting electric quarterback and you don't want to make Kyler Murray, you know, into some sedentary pocket guy. I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying, please, for his sake and the sake of exciting football in December and January, Let's take better care of Kyler Murray in the first three months of this season. And, 
you know, early in his career, it seemed like he was much more wired to avoid contact. He was always smart about getting out of bounds, sliding. He still does that, but there's a certain amount of contact that's unavoidable. The ankle injury he suffered week eight last year on a Thursday night against the Packers. That was just in the pocket, got tackled, down he went. And that ankle, I think, bothered him the rest of the year. He missed several games. They tried to downplay it like teams always do. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And he wasn't fine. And he just couldn't run. He didn't have that explosion. And when we got to the end of the season, when we got to that playoff game, Peter, I I said this earlier in the week, he shrunk before our eyes. He's a lot smaller when he can't just take off like the roadrunner whenever he wants and and he looked he looked less than ordinary against the rams so i agree with you they got to find a way to keep him healthy and and and, but on top of that what what buddha baker's saying the team got comfortable that's a failure of coaching also whatever's working early in the year defenses are going to catch up with you you got to stay ahead of the curve that's part of the challenge and, uh, you know, you got a guy who was a, a college coach for a long time who's still adjusting to life in the NFL. And th- there's a ton of pressure on him this year, I think, Cliff Kingsbury, to get this right, which is why I think if he were to tell us the truth, he would say, why in the hell are they doing the hard knocks in-season thing with my team? Why are they doing that? Can't I, can't I just have a year where I try to try to reverse the numbers on the nosedive graphic without NFL films, cameras, and microphones everywhere? Agreed. And I think this is the one thing. And and I'll just tell you this. I don't I really think that the effect of um, the hard knock stuff is a little bit overrated. I talked to both Chris uh, Ballard, the GM of the Colts and Frank Reich, their season dissolved and collapsed, you know, with with the hard knocks cameras there. And to me, I do think that that's a little bit of a, um, you know, it's a little bit of an overrated thing with teams. And I also think it can do a team good because players like being featured on this thing. And it spruces up, you know, the way they feel about certain things. Last year on the in-season hard knocks, a bunch of players were shown as being really kind of cool guys and responsible off the field and all, all, you know, doing good things off the field. And I totally get it. I also get the, hey, let's be private. But I just don't think at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't think you could ask the Colts. I don't think they would say, even privately, that it had one scintilla to do with Carson Wentz spitting the bit at Jacksonville in week 18. Well, one thing that Kingsbury said this week is he spoke to Ballard and there are positives and negatives, and they asked Kingsbury what the negatives are, and he did a very good job of evading it altogether and uh, saying basically we'll find out. I just think that from his perspective, it introduces an unknown, an uncertainty that you'd just rather not. If I had my choice of the way I know things always are and I'm focused on trying to do better there and introducing some new factor that I really don't know what it's going to do or what it's going to be, I'd rather stick with the way things are, even though the way things are haven't been great for Cliff Kingsbury over the past decade. Let's take a break. When we return, how far apart were the Panthers and the Browns four weeks ago on possibly working out a trade for Baker Mayfield? And could it still happen? We'll discuss that when PFC Live continues right after this. Off my lawn. 
I just had a flashback to when I was a kid, and there was a show called Romper Room. Right. And at the Heard end of, of Romper Room, right. the lady in charge of Romper Room looked through something. She had a mirror or magnifying right. glass, and she would say hello to certain kids. To various kids' yeah. names. Right. And man, when she said hello to Michael, day was made, <laughs> baby. Uh. <laughs> oh god <laughs> look at peter nice look at sims drinking his coffee look at peter with the afro we're all in rubber room <laughs> it's peter back uh, in college that's uh, let me tell you it just kind of it just kind of occurred to me but i hadn't thought about romper room in decades but what we're doing is at some point early in the show we'll welcome all the folks out there and I try to rattle off all the lists and the people who listen on the podcast get very upset when we don't specifically mention them. And then the people who watch on sky get upset. It just, it it reminded me just the neurons in my brain reconnected. And I remembered romper room and I would be fascinated. I would watch that whole damn show for the last five minutes when she pulled up that stupid mirror with nothing inside of it to say hello to all the kids. Cause I wanted her to say hello to me. Cause I was the only Michael Peter. The only one in the world. <laughs> hey, I remember Romper Room just like I remember Captain Kangaroo and Leave It to Beaver. It's just those are the shows of my youth. It was pre-Sesame Street for all of us old guys. Mr. Green Jeans from Captain oh, Kangaroo. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, Mr. Mayfield from Cleveland, Ohio, at least for now. There was discussion between the Panthers and the Browns during the draft about a trade that would have sent Mayfield to Carolina. It fell apart because the gap was too large in what the Browns were willing to pay as part of Mayfield's $18.8 million fully guaranteed salary for this year and what the Panthers wanted to pay. And the Charlotte Observer recently reported that the Panthers wanted the Browns to pick up 13 to 14 million of that 18.8, which is a lot, which is a lot. But you know what? They're going to pay it all if they don't trade him. So um, it fell apart. The Panthers drafted Matt Corral, and uh, here we are. Jeff Howe of The Athletic, I think it was, recently reported it's a holding pattern. Possible trade to the Panthers, possible trade to the Seahawks, possible stick with Baker Mayfield. We talked about it last week. It's going to be a topic until something happens, and something's got to happen. And you know what? I mentioned bad news dump. Today could be the day that the NFL makes known its proposed punishment of Deshaun Watson. That activates this three-step process. The league proposes a punishment. Disciplinary officer takes it from there, issues a decision, and then the commissioner has jurisdiction over the appeal. That's going to take time. Maybe that gets started today. But once we know what the league wants to do with Deshaun Watson, that's another data point as the Browns try to figure out what they're going to do with Baker Mayfield. I'm surprised Mayfield's been quiet about it. At some point, I think he's going to not be quiet. But, uh, you know, Peter... That $18.8 million fully guaranteed, he's making it one way or the other, and the Browns are stringing this out as long as they have to to get whatever value they think they can get for him. You know, what makes sense to me now, and I've talked about it a few times, Mike, but I, I mean, obviously, for the Browns to get anybody to take Baker Mayfield off their hands, they are going to have to pay a good chunk of the contract. But to me, what makes the most sense is they just tell Baker Mayfield to stay away for the time being and wait until they get an offer from a team. 
And I'm not saying there's going to be a Sam Bradford situation where, you know, there's an injury in Minnesota to Teddy Bridgewater late in training camp a week before the season and they trade for Sam Bradford. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is things happen that you can't really predict right now. And, and again, I'm not saying that somebody absolutely is going to get hurt, but if I were the Browns, I'd be waiting even if I had to wait a long time and wait until Baker Mayfield can actually be of use to somebody so that the Browns don't have to pay ransom to him. I agree with that approach completely. The question is, does Baker Mayfield go along with it? Does he stay away? Or does he say, no, you got to deal with me. I'm here. I'm going to show up and I'm going to practice. And I, I expect to be treated like anybody else who's on the team. And you got to decide what you're going to do about that. And, and I don't know that that's good for anybody. And Mayfield, I think it's important now that he comes off as being a guy who is compliant and a guy who will get along and go along. And you got to be thinking about 2023. You got to be thinking about your next team after this season ends. But that's all the more reason for Mayfield to say, I'd like to get to somewhere where I can lay the foundation to have the kind of a season that will make me attractive in 2023. But Peter, I still think that his best option, if if the Brown, and we don't know how long Deshaun Watson is going to miss. He may not miss one game at all. He could miss the whole season. I won't be surprised if they suspend him the whole season after what MLB did to Trevor Bauer. But once the Browns know, if they know they're not going to be without Deshaun Watson for an extended stretch of the season, if that's how this goes, if I'm Baker Mayfield, I say, well, Carolina, Seattle, Cleveland. I know I'm pissed at the Browns, but if I'm thinking about setting myself up in the best possible position I can for 2023, probably better off staying in Cleveland. I just don't know that he can walk that back at this point. I don't See, think that's one of the reasons. It's, it's one of the reasons, Mike, that, you know, when the Debo Samuel thing blew up a month ago, that's one of the one of the reasons why you saw the approach that John Lynch took. And his approach was, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Let's just forget this for the next two months. Let's let's, you know, say nice things about Debo Samuel. Let's give him his space and let's not engage and make this any worse than it is. And you've noticed with the Cleveland Browns they haven't really said anything or fired back at Baker Mayfield. And one of the reasons is it can't help them to do that. And you are absolutely right. The best thing that can happen after, let's say, six more weeks of nothing, the best thing that could happen when everybody has taken multiple deep breaths, the best thing that can happen is for Baker Mayfield to pick up the phone and call Kevin Stefanski and said, now that uh, you're going to be missing your quarterback for whatever, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is, do we want to try to rebuild this bridge and I will come in and be a good soldier under one condition, that you don't, that, that I become totally free at the end of this season, which obviously the Browns would be amenable to do because they're certainly not going to employ him after uh, you know, 2022. So to me, that is the smartest way of doing it. Just do nothing for the next six weeks and then just see where you are 
and then see if Baker Mayfield, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to put him down or anything, but see if he's smart enough to know that his best option is in Cleveland. Yeah, it's just going to take some work. We talked about the report from ESPN.com. It was now three weeks ago where if, if uh, some of those concerns trace back to Mayfield's camp, and I believe they do, it's going to be hard to rebuild that bridge, but it may be the best solution for everyone. The first step, though, is what will the league do about Deshaun Watson? And I think that answer could come as soon as 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern today because this is a great opportunity. Even though the news cycle never shuts down, as we previously discussed, especially as it relates to the NFL, there is something to be said for finding a way to drop something as we go into a three-day break before all of the shows are back on and the people are cranking up their opinions and you, you, you give it some time and some space and it's not as big of an eruption as it would be if it happened on a Monday or a Tuesday during a normal week. Um, and as to the Panthers, to bring it back to the original point, as to the Panthers, even though they drafted Matt Corral in round three and they have Sam Darnold, listen to Scott Fitter, the GM of the team, from a recent appearance on PFTPM regarding whether or not they would still consider possibly adding wink, wink, nod, nod, a veteran quarterback from another team. The drafting of Matt Corral came after it was well reported and documented. There were trade discussions involving the Panthers and another team regarding a player who is under contract with that other team. And I'm not trying to lead you into a tampering trap. So I'll just ask you a very, very simple question. Is there any possibility that you will trade for a veteran quarterback? No names. Is there any possibility you'll trade at this point moving forward for a veteran quarterback on another team? I would say quarterback or any other position. If there's someone out there that we think can help us, we'll, we'll keep our, uh, our, our minds open. We have the money set aside for, uh, to make several different moves, and that was important for us to do. We want that flexibility. But if someone can help us, regardless of position, uh, we'll make a move at some point. Now, look, that's a non-answer, but he also could have said we're fine with the quarterbacks we have. Could have said that. Could have said we're fine with Sam Darnold and Matt Corral. We drafted Matt Corral. We got two guys that we think we can go forward with, but, but uh, he didn't say that. And so there's still a thought that, that the logjam could break and Baker Mayfield could end up in Carolina. I don't, I don't have any lean. I'm just surprised the Seahawks haven't shown more interest. I feel like they're playing poker with the Browns, and they're just sitting there with their best poker face on, waiting for the best possible opportunity to get Mayfield under the best possible terms for the Seahawks. Here's the thing that I take from that. There was one little part of his answer, basically where he said, we have the money to do whatever we want to do. That, to me, is a signal if there is any interest. He could just be spouting the, we can do whatever we want, blah, blah, blah. But that, to me, is a signal, you know, if there was one sent in there to the Cleveland Browns to basically say, make us a better offer and we'll consider it. And that, to me, is exactly where the Carolina Panthers are right now. Um, I think they would be fine with going into training camp without Baker Mayfield. I think if they could get him at a Walmart price, uh, you know, that they'd bring him in. The, the Seahawks, is a, that's a little bit of a different story. I'm not saying it's impossible. Pete Carroll is Mr. Everybody's got to compete every day and all that. So I'm not saying it's impossible. But what I am saying is, you know, he's just a different core. I, I think what they want, is they want a quarterback for a ground control, a ball possession, uh, ground 
offense that that is the way they really would like to play going forward. Uh, and, and not a let Geno cook kind of, or, or let Drew Locke cook kind of offense. So it's a little bit square peg in a round hole bringing Baker Mayfield in. Well, we'll continue to monitor it as the offseason continues to unfold. For now, we'll take a break. When we return, we'll recap the week that was. And then, in honor of the passing of Ray Liotta, who played Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams, we'll do a Friday draft of the best sports movies of all time. That's what's to come on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Sad news on Thursday, the passing of Ray Liotta, one of the best-known American actors of the past 30 years. Lorraine Bracco expressing her condolences. They starred together in Goodfellas, one of my all-time favorite movies, if not number one. The one movie that if I could only watch one, it would be the one that I would watch. Field of Dreams, where he played Shoeless Joe Jackson. Watch out, Kevin Costner. Here comes one right back up the middle. Get out of the way. Oh, I wonder how many takes they had to do to get that right. Regardless, uh, a sad day with the news of the passing of Ray Liotta, but we're going to spin it into something positive because Field of Dreams, obviously a sports movie. Peter, let's draft the best sports movies of all time. You're up, literally, pun intended. All right, I'm going to go with uh, League of Their Own. I love that movie at a time, especially when you, you have a couple of daughters in their formative years, um, to know that they have some heroes out there, number one, and number two, I thought that Tom Hanks was absolutely, totally unbelievable as a broken-down old manager saying, hey, you got to go coach these girls. And just really a fun, heartfelt movie with a lot of good lessons in it. That's a good choice. That's a very good choice. And I remember how popular that movie was at the time. I haven't seen it in a long time. Now I'm going to have to put it on my list of things I need to find time to watch during the quiet time, even though it never really gets quiet, as we've established in the NFL. Mine, and I first thought Rocky, but then I thought about it. And you know what? I'm going to go Rocky 2. I like Rocky 2 more than I like Rocky. Because Rocky II had buildup, like a big fight. You knew what was coming. You were excited about it. And it delivered that montage, the workout montage, after Adrian comes out of the coma and says, I want you to do one thing for me. And he says, what's that? And she says, win. And the bell hits. And she says, win. And it bang. I get goosebumps thinking about it now. So Rocky II. I got to go watch Rocky II as soon as we're done. Okay. I got two that are tied for number two. And I know it's only a two-round draft. But I just love... We got, we, got, we, got, we got a third round coming up. We got a third round coming up. Oh, we Go got ahead. it? Okay, good, good, good. After good, the good. break. All After right. the break. I got, I got Moneyball as number two. And I'll tell you why I have Moneyball as number two. Most sports movies are ridiculously unrealistic when it comes to the action and it comes... To, but I can see a newfangled general manager with analytics ideas coming in to a place where all the old scouts hate his guts. I've seen it before. I've seen it in football. So I know how realistic that was. Brad Pitt, awesome as Billy Bean. You mentioned taking your daughters to see a league of their own during their formative years. Well, my dad took me to see the Bad News Bears in my formative years, <laughs> which may explain some things. Frankly, but I, I remember 
just and it would be, you know, anytime you could find common ground with one of your parents and laugh at the same jokes and appreciate them the same way. 1975, <laughs> 76. I mean, that movie's got some inappropriate content by today's standards, clearly. But the Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau, uh, Tatum O'Neill, awesome, awesome uh, film. They tried to redo it with Billy Bob Thornton. It wasn't nearly as good. But uh, Bad News Bears, my second pick. We'll take a break. We'll wrap it up when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, round three of the best sports movies of all time in honor of the passing of Ray Liotta, who played shootless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams. Peter, you're up. You know, I really wanted to pick 42 here, the Jackie Robinson movie that Chadwick Boseman was so incredibly good at because I think it, it for so many Americans who didn't know exactly what Jackie Robinson went through, this was a great mirror into it. I love that. But I'm picking... Field of Dreams, because I bawled my head off in that movie. James Earl Jones was unbelievable. Um, you know, everybody in that movie was great. I loved Ray Liotta. How about when Ray Liotta says, yeah, we wanted to invite Ty Cobb, but nobody could stand the son of a bitch when he played. So I, I, I'll take Field of Dreams. Last one for me is Caddyshack, which golf is a sport, so yeah. it's a sports movie. And I read a book earlier this year about the making of Caddyshack, and it was more enjoyable than Caddyshack the movie. Because you can imagine Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, all sorts of little nuggets that you learn about it. Really a great book and, and a, a movie from 1980 that still holds up today. A lot of those movies from 40 years ago just don't. We hope you hold up over the weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday. Be safe. Enjoy the week. We'll see you Tuesday.